Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. message today. You know, we are getting to the end of the book of James. And I know many of you are probably like me, who probably lightheartedly say, I would be so glad when we're done with James. You know, James is a, is, a, is a difficult book sometimes to study because it's not one of the typical epistles. It doesn't give us a lot of new theology. In many ways, it sounds like an Old Testament book, almost a prophet that, that's being very direct with us. It's telling us what we need to do. And sometimes they step on our toes a little bit. Sometimes it makes us a little uncomfortable. James has a way of cutting us down to size of measuring us up. Uh, he, he doesn't build us up because sometimes he thinks we're just too puffed up. Uh, he tells us that trials are actually good for us, trials and persecution. He warns us about temptation, but says at least there's a, there's a blessing for us that endure temptation. Uh, James tells us that faith without works is dead and that no man can tame the tongue. You know, but here's the thing. While we may not like some of these direct admonitions by, by James, we don't like our toes being touched down, uh, there's a great amount of truth in what he has to say. James often hits the nail on the head. He speaks to us directly. And isn't it amazing? These words are over two, almost 2,000 years old, but they still apply so well today. So, so today, our, our title is More Precious Than Gold. It's a good title, isn't it? More precious than gold. And it's got a, a beautiful scene there, a little cloud, a little flower, I mean, a little tree. It's supposed to bring your heart up. Well, that's good because the actual scripture we're reading today, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, has paragraph headings that read like this. It says, um, it says that, uh, that all the rich oppressors will be judged. Uh, in the NIV, the paragraph heading says, a warning to the rich. Uh, now, these paragraph headings are not inspired, but they give us a clue about what the topic is about, what the verses that immediately follow it are about. Now, this will be the third time, actually, that James is talking about the rich. If you remember, at the very beginning, about three or four months ago, he talked about how the lowly would glory in their exaltation but the rich in their humiliation, okay? Now remember, the, we said that the rich and poor all had, both had to flee Jerusalem, and most likely the, 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 the humble were lifted up because they were now with all the, the people. And the rich had to leave a lot of their riches behind and had to mingle with the lower class, and that was, that was humbling for them. In chapter 2, James warned about the sin of partiality. Now that's a fancy word, but what it means is basically treating people that are wealthy different than people that are poor. And we said that we found this even in our churches, that sometime a wealthy person would come into the church and we kind of elbow each other and say, make sure we get to know them, right? Make sure you get their name and number. Somebody take them out to lunch. We want them to come back. And it's because we, we look at the wealthy people as if they're an asset. 
where if somebody came in uh, dressed in shabby clothes and maybe got dropped off by an Uber, you would wonder if they're going to be raiding your, your food basket, right? Your, your Samaritan's purse. Maybe they're going to looking for a handout. So this will be the third time that, that James is talking about the rich. And we'll find today in our reading today that James was just warming up. He was just warming up because he's got something to say about the rich. So we're going to take a look at this and see what James has to say. Again, this is James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. James says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and your silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Fun words today, huh? He goes on. He says, indeed, the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you've kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in, in pleasure and luxury. You have fatted your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. So as we begin our message today, I want you to follow along with me. I want you to breathe in. Breathe out. Let's do it again. Breathe in. Breathe out. Now, you'll see why we're doing that, because unlike what you might think I'm going to do, I'm not going to remind you, for example, that when we read passages like this, that if you're uh, in America today, if you're listening to this, this passage in America, I'm not going to remind you that uh, a third of the world's population lives on only $2 a day. I'm not going to remind you, for example, that with an income of $32,400, you'll be in the top 1%. I'm not going to remind you, but I, I guess I, I just did. Uh, but here's the good thing. I'm not going to make you squirm. I, I'm not going to make you feel any worse because we've read these passages um, because I don't believe these passages are written to you. Now, don't get me wrong. There's always an application in everything in the scriptures. There's always an application because God wants us to pay attention. But I don't believe these words are necessarily written to the wealthy people that were scattered after Jerusalem was persecuted. I don't believe it's actually written to the wealthy people in our churches today. However, there's always an application. Uh, I want you to know up front that I do not believe that James in this passage is particularly writing to to rich believers. He's not writing to the scattered group of Jewish believers. Now, I'm sure there are some rich among them, but listen what James has to say. He says they need to weep and howl that they've been fattened their hearts on a day of slaughter, that they've been condemned because they've murdered the just. Does this sound like believers that James is writing to? I don't, I don't think so. Now, in this, there's no indication based on hist what historians say that we have a lot of rich new believers. A lot of the early believers in the Messiah were not rich. In fact, quite the contrary. Uh, they were poor. They were lowly. It was the people that of very little means that were often attracted to Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, we see that today. Uh, Paul says, you notice that there's not many rich among you. So this was something that was going on. So we don't see that James is addressing the rich. So who is James addressing? Well, let's go to the text. Like going to the video. We'll go to the text and check it out. First, the first thing we want to see if, if we're wrong, 
it may be James is continuing to write to the same people he wrote to in the first four chapters. Are, are there rich Christians among them who have been guilty of defrauding the laborers? Well, here's the thing. I, I, I know what it's like. I, I know a lot of rich people, and sometimes rich people complete, completely unaware of how they come across to people that don't have means. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, sometimes they're just unaware of how they treat the, treat the help, of how they treat the servants. They're, they're sometimes unaware of how, how harsh they're being, maybe even their policies that, of their laborers, they're unaware. However, I'm gonna stick with my initial assessment that the rich that James are talking to that need to weep and howl, that miseries are coming upon them, are not these same brothers that James has been referring to in the first four chapters. And there's good reason for that. For example, in the first three or four chapters, James refers to brothers or brethren a number of times. In James chapter 1, verse 2, the second verse of this whole epistle, he says, My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And then in verse 19, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. In chapter 2, we went over a couple months ago, he said, My brothers, do not hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. In verse 14 of the same chapter, he says, What is it, prophet? My brothers. If someone says he has faith but not works. In chapter 3, he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you received even a stricter judgment. In verse 10, he says, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brothers, it should not be that way. But in this passage, there's no message at all of brothers or, or brethren. And in fact, if you notice there's no call to repentance anywhere in here. He's not telling the rich to repent. He's telling them to get ready for, for judgment. He says, you've condemned, you've murdered the just. They do not resist you. Speaking again of these rich oppressors. But then in the next verse that we'll start, pick up actually in a couple weeks because next week is Resurrection Sunday. In a couple weeks, we'll be saying, therefore, it says, therefore, be patient, brothers. So again, the reference to brothers is there, but it's not in this passage. It's in the next section, the next paragraph heading. And they're, not, and they're being called to repent as well. So we've seen this type of wording before, but we have to go typically to the Old Testament. Remember, I said that James is writing in the style of an Old Testament prophet. Uh, for example, here's a passage from Jeremiah chapter 49 about the people of Ammon. Now, you might not know the people of Ammon because they don't exist anymore, but they're the descendants of Lot. If you remember, Lot was a nephew of Abraham, and he settled near Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham and the angels had to go to him and they had to take Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah because he was a relative of Abraham. And the descendants of Lot became the Ammonites. And they were still in the promised land when the Jews returned from Egypt, but they didn't treat the people of Israel very well. The people of Israel tried to treat them well because they were descendants of Abraham. But the people of Ammon didn't, didn't treat the people of Israel very well at all. In fact, they worshiped the god Moloch who was a Canaanite god. This was a god that had horns and it was like a bull and they would offer their children to his children's sacrifices. This was not a good people. So listen to what Jeremiah had to say and listen and, and see how it compares very much to what James has to say. Jeremiah says in chapter 49 verse 4, he says, why do you brag about your great power? 
Your power is ebbing away, you rebellious people of Ammon. You trust in your riches. There's that word. You trust in your riches and say, who will dare to attack us? I will bring terror to you on every side, says the sovereign Lord of heaven's armies. You will be scattered in every direction. No one will gather the fugitives back together. That's Jeremiah chapter 49, verses 4 and 5. You know, the Bible has many prophecies like this, many what they call oracles. They're oracles of coming judgment. Um, there were oracles against uh, the Moabites, Edom, against Damascus, against Babylon. And Je uh, Jeremiah, actually, in the next chapter, has an oracle or prophecy about the, the, the people of the Egyptians and the loss uh, to, the, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So that's what it's like. So why did these Old Testament prophets write these oracles about to the foreign people? Did, they ex did Jeremiah expect somebody who's going to take his, his scroll and take it to the people of Ammon and say, see the judgment that's coming on you? Well, scholars don't believe so. It's not written so much for them. It's written for the people of the word, people that are reading these things. Scholars understand that these prophecies of judgment of nations, leaders and nations, in this case, the rich, emphasize that God is sovereign. God is in charge. God is on the throne. And that includes the whole world, every nation, people, and tongue. It, it, it provides a righteous just justice to those that have been victimized, those that have been oppressed. And that brings us to what I believe these verses in James chapter 5 actually are. I believe them to be a, a prophecy. A prophecy that's given by James, the brother of Jesus, regarding the, the coming judgment on those that have been oppressing the Jews in Jerusalem and the surrounding area, both Jews as well as the Christians, the people that believe in the Messiah. That includes all of the rich, the fat cat, the flush, the loaded, the wealthy elites of primarily Jerusalem, but also the surrounding area. You know, for years, likely centuries, Jews in Jerusalem and the surrounding regions have been oppressed by their own people, the rich. Most re recently, those believing Jews that James refers to as the brothers. James, Jesus including the, included the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin in this category of the rich, those that oppressed his, his people. John the Baptist, if you remember, called out Herod, the king of Israel, okay? And he lost his head as a result of it. And there was probably nobody more wealthy than Herod at the time. The group that they're being referred to, however, is even larger. It includes people of the rich that Jesus talks about in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember that parable? I'm not going to read the whole thing to you today. But you remember the parable, uh, rich man and Lazarus, and both of them die. And, and, they, and Lazarus finds himself in the bosom of Abraham, and he's being comforted. But the rich man finds himself being tormented. And Abraham explains to them that you had it... You had it differently when you were on earth, but this is the just judgment. This is how you will spend eternity. The judgments as given as prophecies by the Old Testament prophets on the enemies of God and by James, in this case, on those rich oppressors, appears to serve the purpose of comforting the brothers who were being, were being oppressed. James 5, 4, our passage today said, the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, meaning God hears. God's sovereign. He hears it when you, you cry out. And these verses in James 5, I said, are actually a, a prophecy of coming judgment. The coming judgment and the miseries to come are in reference, I believe, to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. 
Remember we said that this was one of the early epistles, meaning it was probably right around 50 AD, probably no more than 25 years after Jesus rose from the dead, somewhere around that time. Well, by 70 AD, 20 to 25 years later, Jerusalem is destroyed. Christians, by the way, that remembered the prophecy of Jesus that not one stone would be left on top of another, historians tell us scattered. They left Jerusalem. They left Dodge. As soon as they saw Titus coming around the city and surrounding the city, they got out while they still could. According to Josephus, the man I just mentioned, the Jewish historian, the Roman army led by a future emperor, Titus, began the siege of Jerusalem on the 14th of April, AD 70. It was three days before Passover, meaning the city was full of people, literally a million people in Jerusalem at the time when the Roman army surrounds it. Now, over the last four years, the Jews had revolted against Rome and had pretty much self-rule, but it was short-lived. By August of AD 70, the temple was destroyed. By the end of September, the entire city lay in waste. Jo Josephus claims that 1.1 million people were killed. The vast majority of those were Jews. Including the 1.1 million people were all the rich Jews that oppressed the Christian brethren. They literally weeped and howled as the Roman armies came in. They had heaped up treasure for their last days. That's what it says in verse 3. So in the time that's remaining, I'm going to get to the topic of my message today. Because the topic of my message is more precious than gold. Because we're going to try to find the application here of the message. If this is a prophecy against people that literally died back in 70 AD, what is our application for today? Notice in James, verse 3, uh, in, in verse 3, James writes, Your gold and your silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you. Now, in the American Standard Bible, and some other translation, it says that your gold is rusted. Now, for those of you that know gold, and I don't, I don't have any gold, um, gold doesn't rust. It's a precious metal, and it tarnishes, but it does not rust. But here it says it's going to rust. So James is using a metaphor. He, he's explaining what he's saying. He's saying in our today's language, you can't take it with you. It doesn't matter how much gold you have, how wealthy you are. You're all going to go to the undertaker in the same way. There's no U-Haul with all your gold following the hearse. And that's what James is telling us. He says that it will be corroded, it will become worthless. He's, he's mocking their riches. When God brings a judgment that what good will all the gold and silver do to the people in AD 70? It didn't do them any good. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You all died under the hands of Titus and the rest of the Romans. So you see these verses, while they're prophetic, have still an application for us today. So we wrap up this teaching today. Let's find the application as well for us. Now, if you remember when we talked about when we when we talked about pride, we said there was an antidote to pride. Remember? That was humility. And we're going to find when we talk about riches or greed, there's going to be an antidote to that as well, which is generosity. Generosity. You know, last week's stewardship verse was Psalm 24.1. It says, last week we said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and everything who live in it, everyone who lives in it. I mentioned earlier that when we talk about stewardship, we're not just talking about money. In fact, we talk about what the Bible says is our time, our talent, and our treasure. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. You know, Jesus tells us a parable in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. I didn't read the parable about the rich man and Lazarus because I want to read this one. 
It's very appropriate for today. In Matthew 25, by the way, as soon as I say Matthew 25, your ears should start tingling because that's one of the last chapters in the book of Matthew, meaning Jesus is getting very close to Calvary. It's about this time in Holy Week. It's just before Palm Sunday or the week of Palm Sunday. And Jesus gives three parables in succession. They're all about the end times. One is about the parable of the ten virgins. Remember, the ten virgins were waiting for the bridegroom to come. And some had brought oil and some had not. And then he tells the parable of, of the one I'm going to read, which is the parable of the talents. And then the last one is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And most people understand the parable of the sheep and the goats is the judgment at the last days, where he has the sheep on his right side and he puts his goats on the, on the left. The, the Lord and the accounting that is given at the end of the age is what these parables are about. So let me read to you this parable. It's called the parable of the talents, and I'm sure you're, you're aware of it. Jesus says this. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received only one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 22, he also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two. Look, I have gained two more. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering seed where you've not scattered. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. At my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast into the unprofitable servant, into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you've heard that parable before. You know, I, I love that the parable in English uses the word talents. Now, this is a transliteration of the word talent in Greek. And a talent is a, a unit of, of weight. It's, it's not a measure of wealth, it's a, it's a measurement of weight. Typically, the weight of a, of, of a, of a small person, of a, it says a full-grown man, but then it says 70 pounds. I don't know too many full-grown men that are 70 pounds. <laughs> so, so just think, so it's, a, it's a weight of measure. 70 pounds of silver or 70 pounds of gold. Today, 70 pounds of gold, it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. That's a tremendous amount of money. And this is the idea that God is giving to each according to his ability. God gives you talents, talents that are on loan from God. 
These are talents that all of us have given. All of us have various talents, and God wants us to treat our talents as a good steward, be able to handle those, those well. So here our application today goes more to the heart of the title. Remember, our title today is More Precious Than Gold. Well, what's more precious than gold? I'm glad you asked the question. <laughs> Psalm 19.10 tells us, he says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever, and the judgment of the Lord is true, being altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them indeed your servant is warned, and keeping them is great reward. So what's more precious than gold? It's the fear of the Lord. It's handling our talents appropriately. It's understanding that God is going to give us a, a, an accounting of the talents that he's given us. What have you done with what God has entrusted to your care? So what happened when we read to, what happened to James today? And, his, and he said, well, the gold had been corrupted. We don't want corrupted gold. We want pure gold. In fact, we want something even more precious than gold. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about how do we, in our remaining time here on this wonderful planet called Earth, how do we gain things that are more precious than gold? Well, remember I said before that there was antidotes, right? The antidote to pride was, was humility. The, the antidote to greed, which has to do with gold and silver and riches, is generosity. You know, I recently just, just finished a book. It was given to me by a good friend, a resident here. It's A Life Beyond Amazing by Dr. David Jeremiah. Now, if you know Dr. Jeremiah, he's one of my heroes. I, I listen to his podcasts all the time. And, and it was an amazing book, just as the title was said, and I finished it on our last vacation. And in it, it has a section on, on generosity. So I figured if I'm going to talk about generosity as being the antidote to riches and enabling us to get something more precious than gold, I would go ahead and quote from Dr. David Jeremiah and give you some of the things that he has to say about how to gain those things that are, that are more precious than gold, how to, be, how to be generous. What lessons do we have in generosity? And as you know me, I always have three. So I have three lessons today that we can learn from. The first thing is... Do the little things. Do the little things. That's on page 119 of his book. You know, Jesus in Luke 16, uh, verse 10, he says, He who is faithful in a little thing is also faithful in much. He who, has, um, he who is unrighteous in a little thing is unrighteous in much. You know, the context of Luke 16 is money. Because Jesus just before that talked about being, uh, being faithful in unrighteous mammon. Unrighteous mammon is another name of saying money. So God wants you to be faithful in the little things. And to God, money is a little thing. To us, it's a big thing. But to God, it's just a, a, a little thing. So here's some suggestions by Dr. Jeremiah. He says, become a generous tipper. Become a, become a generous giver. Uh, can consciously increase the amount you leave on the table for your waiter or your waitress, okay? Uh, people have less than you. Be generous with them. Be a generous tipper. Second thing was set aside extra money or even better, extra time to specifically give or spend with people in need. Ask God to reveal ways to express their love and your love and generosity to them. Um, we talked about that in, in church. We talked about having random acts of kindness. How can you be kind to people? Share your time. Share money with them. Be, be able to, to give to those that are, that are truly in need. I'm not talking about panhandlers. I'm not talking about people that stand by the side of the corner. I'm talking about people that are in need, people that, that you know 
that you know that you know could use some of your excess resources. The third thing, and I like what he has to say, he says, continue to commit to support your church. Experience the joy and the impact of, of tithing. You know, we, we believe in tithing here, but, but this is Celebrate Seniors, so we're a little bit different. And how are we different? We cooperate with all of the area churches. We realize that you had already had a home church for many, many years. That's where you received your teaching. That's where your kids grew up. That's where your kids were baptized, okay? Continue to support your churches, whatever God puts on your heart. But find a way to be able to increase your giving to a tithe, which is 10%. We, we, we appreciate your, your generosity. We appreciate your support here. We have a few people here that tithe to us, and I appreciate that. It helps us pay the bills. But God wants you to be generous on all occasions. Find a way to increase your giving to the 10% level. I've never met anybody, seriously. I've been doing this for a long time. I've never met anybody that tithe, and I know many people that tithe, that has ever said, you know, Ken, I wish I had that money back. It's never happened. They realize how blessed they are with the 90% that they have left. God is, you know, this isn't a fixed amount. This is not one piece of pie that there's only eight pieces to. God is a generous giver. God will continue to give and continue to bless you in so many different ways. So Dr. David Jeremiah says, find a way to experience the joy of giving 10%. Number two. He says this, he says, answer the question, how much should I give? <laughs> how much should I give? Have you ever done that? I, we have, my wife and I, a couple of times, we've been, in, we've been in churches, churches that I've been on staff with, that all of a sudden decided to have a capital campaign. You've been around a capital camp, right? I mean, everything's going along fine, all of a sudden the pastor announces they're going to build a brand new worship center, right? Or they're going to build a school. And even though there's only half a million dollars that came in this year, they're going to have a $5 million capital campaign. And you looked at each other and said, how are we going to be able to get to $5 million? And then you have this serious conversation because you trust God and you love your church. How much should I, how much should I give? And you've got to come up with some idea of how much should I give. So I, I told you that you know, I've been given this book by Dr. Jeremiah, and he actually quotes C.S. Lewis on this comment of how much should I give. Let me, let me read to you what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe way is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those we have the same income and are friends with, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say our expenditures to them are too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures excludes the opportunity. Isn't that something? So Dr. Jeremiah says, give until it hurts. You know, Paul says the same thing. He, Paul says that we need to be give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. And I've got to tell you, as your pastor, that's something that's very hard to do. It's hard to give sacrificially. I can, give, I can be generous in my giving, but at the same time, give sacrificially means that I'm not doing something we had planned. I've got to go to my wife and say, oh, by the way, that trip to Israel we wanted to do, we're not going to do it. Because instead, we're going to give to some worthwhile charity. Oh, that, that vacation we're going to take, we're not going to take it because we're going to give what we would have spent on ourselves to some other activity. That's what, that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. And I find it challenging. I, I find it very challenging. So I'm going to go on to the next point. <laughs> 
The third point, he says, is make sure you're always moving towards your treasure. Remember, we store up our treasure in heaven. And, and Dr. Jeremiah says, make sure that you're moving towards your treasure. Jesus said in Matthew 6.19, he says, do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break and steal. It sounds a lot like James, doesn't it? But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another quote from Dr. Jeremiah, he says, no matter your income, whether it's large or small, you're either moving away from your treasure or moving towards it. And he's saying, always be moving towards your treasure. You know, you're, you are, you're a gift. You're a gift from God. You have many, many talents. You're, you're also a child of God. And this means that your, your future is, is certain. You have the best retirement plan anybody could ever have. You will spend eternity in the presence of God, the creator of the heaven and the earth, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In the process, you're storing up treasure in heaven. And the Bible says, in heaven, moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Our parable today and our teaching today, our application today, is there's a way to find ways to be able to gather those things that are even more precious than gold. Things that you can actually not take with you, but store up ahead of you. Let's pray. So Father God, we want to thank you. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org. Dialogue.org.